This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Alongside me, Matt Hour. Today we're chatting with James Walker. James is a fifth generation farmer from Longreach in Queensland. In between farming, James is an accomplished entrepreneur with a focus on improving profitability in the livestock industry. In this episode, you'll hear how innovation has future-proofed James's family farm, how he's diversified his income stream through agritourism and ag tech, and how he's creating farming efficiencies that are bringing positive change to the northern cattle industry and beyond. Let's jump in. Good morning, James, and thanks for joining us on Beyond the Farm Gate. Thanks, Matt and Annie. It's a pleasure to join you both. I thought we'd start off with the connection to agriculture and if you could tell us a little bit about the home property specifics and the, the history of the property. Yeah, so we're part of a fifth generation. Uh, we've got the six on the ground here at Longreach in Western Queensland. We've been here, well, I've, I grew up on the property that I'm on now, had a bit of time away uh, at school, at boarding school and, and done various sort of other courses and travel in between, but also managed a 60,000 acre property for the family south of here, about 130 kilometres away from the nearest town. So, yeah, so just fully committed to ag and and, uh, really trying to develop business models for the variable rainfall that we find ourselves in in uh, Western Queensland. So that's led to a, a need to innovate on the property. Can you tell us why you needed to innovate when you came home? Yeah, absolutely, mate. When I came home, I thought I'd, you know, pay my dues for schooling and, and the fees associated with that and just check in with the family and uh, I'd return to university maybe doing commerce and what I ended up doing was getting immersed in the activity of farming and operations out here and decided to stick around. And, and yeah, at that time, you know, the land values weren't great, cash flow wasn't brilliant and the uh, the interest rates are quite high, you know, around that sort of that 8 to 10%. So we were looking at fairly quick moves to, to try and get up and going. After doing a few short courses in, in business and I realised that we, you know, we need to either optimise the operation or diversify. So we sort of went two ways, uh, optimising by developing more waters and, and, uh, and more fencing and renovating the cattle and sheep yards that we had out here to try and make more efficiencies and to try and reduce the costs in terms of the gross margins for each enterprise. But then we also had another opportunity to diversify. So, so yeah, so any opportunity that came across the desk, we'd sort of assess and then and then act on depending on the returns. So we just ranked them on returns. So one was baling hay and uh, when we had a really good season, we'd bale hay and sell it to local sale yards and practically we sold it all around Australia, so South Australia, New South Wales and the Northern Territory as well. We did uh, doing sort of 75,000 bales in four seasons up here at Longreach and it was just, you know, native pasture hay. It was a great business. From there, we sort of had a look at different varieties of sheep, so meat sheep, trading cattle as opposed to breeding and flowed on from there, Matt. So is that sort of a, a mindset that you adopted, James, or did you need to convince the rest of the family that it was a good idea? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, every change in business activity is a negotiation in family business. So obviously we had a legacy stud up here, uh, Sandy Truder stud, 
we're part of Cumberland, and it was uh, it was brilliant. We, you know, it was it was going quite well. But I suppose we changed the focus to commercial activities. You know, and and sort of a commercial herd. So so with that came changing business directions for uh, family members, and so we had a that at, at that stage we decided to do a succession uh, bout, and so we ended up. We ran a commercial enterprise and separated from the traditional family business that had the stud in it, and they went their separate way and, and pursued that. So, you know, every change of business can be a trigger for changes in intergenerational sort of management. But, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you've got a traditional enterprise that's always worked, has gone sideways, yeah, you really need to negotiate, uh, you know, those well and, and build a case to, to, to put to the other family members and, and prove it up. Once you start getting some runs on the board, then the amount of information you provide is met with trust. The decisions are a lot easier. Is there, James, any idea that you've had that you've put to the rest of your family and they've just shaken their head and thought, oh, no, that's not going to fly? Annie, absolutely, every day. <laughs> <laughs> every, day, every day early on because you, your appetite for risk is so great you know when you're young you know you, you're wanting to just push the envelope and put a flag in the ground I suppose to to let everyone know you're there so yes every day I'd spend an hour and a half most weeks driving down to this place or driving up to get uh, something so you'd conjure up all these ideas between the properties it gives you a great moment to reflect on what you're doing and what you could be doing yeah I used to actually have a voice recorder I used to have that in the console and whenever I had an idea, I'd, I'd sort of register it. Somebody got it out the other day and went through it all and there were some crazy <laughs> ideas on it, but probably commensurate with a, uh, with a you know, an 18, 19-year-old. So, yeah, so now it's probably tempered a little bit more and uh, I've got to realise that our next generation coming through are going to be like that. So I want to encourage the ideas but also put some science behind them, I suppose. I know exactly what you mean because... When you come out of uni or when you come out of school or even when you're at school, you think you've got all these amazing ideas, but you're not restrained by, I suppose, being an adult and thinking, oh, what if it doesn't work or I've got to provide. It's be nice to combine the two, I suppose, as an adult and still have some of that carefree spirit you had as a kid. You know, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's it's all about experience. And so the experiences that I had at that stage were quite limited, whereas uh, in America, celebrate failure over there because that's a huge experience and you learn from that in Australia not so much early on you don't have many experiences so you haven't been burnt much at all it's only when you when you do have a few experiences and things don't go well that you really start to refine your thinking and, and your ideas so so yeah so it's it's great I you know I'd encourage everyone to capture their ideas when they first leave school and get into farming because there's some pretty great ideas and when you go back through them there's actually some with a lot of merit and knowing what you know now you could actually act on but you'd act on probably a lot differently. So James what are some other examples of the way that you've diversified on the farm or beyond the farm as well? Yeah absolutely Annie so yeah so you've always got that option of optimizing your farm or diversifying it's very hard to optimize it when you don't get rainfall so you know diversification comes up a lot as an opportunity up here Initially, yeah, we sort of pursued the commercial route with our livestock and so just reassessing all the livestock breeds that we had up here, we ended up importing some embryos from South Africa, which uh, was back in 99, I suppose. So I was a 19-year-old back then, so that was one idea, but it was part of a producer consortium that imported embryos into donors 
uh, in Western Queensland here for meat sheep. So there was a combination of Dorpers and Damaras. And so, yeah, so we diversified into those. That, that, was, that was quite interesting. The market, after a while, uh, the market was accepting them, but, but not as readily as what we had hoped. So we had to start exporting them. So we we're exporting them out of South Australia. But overnight, that export opportunity closed up for us. So, so hence a, a big challenge. And a lot of the local and domestic meat works weren't accepting any of those meat sheep due to medulated fibres. So what we ended up doing was sort of trying to develop a, another export opportunity out of the north because the, the kilometres weren't as far to travel to, say, ports of Townsville from here or, or Darwin as opposed to Port Adelaide. So what we ended up doing was uh, what ended up doing was making 20 phone calls or promising myself to make 20 phone calls a, a day to try and establish a market. So I'd sit, I'd sit there and just check off, you know, different uh, networks that I had and just sort of pursue any openings that we had there. And we ended up exporting uh, the first large major consignment of sheep out of northern Australia to, the, uh, to Indonesia, the Philippines and Malaysia, and it culminated in sort of exporting via by playing out of Brisbane and Sydney as well. So, you know, uh, 1,800 sheep in a, in a uh, large cargo plane overseas. So, so yeah, so we I suppose we diversified with the style of sheep that we had, the breed, and that was uh, one of the early days that we did that was, that was quite good. I suppose optimising was just the water, so we reduced our water uh, range for livestock down to two kilometres, which was great. We put out 75 mil poly everywhere and, and reticulated under pressure. So that was great for actually, I suppose, intensifying the production out here. We ended up uh, putting a solar farm here in the middle of the most current drought. So a large-scale $32 million solar farm that we partnered with a large corporate to, to put in. It's 54,000 panels and takes up about 150 acres here. So we get uh, a lease payment out of that and also they invested in a lot of infrastructure that we've got up here. So. So, yeah, so that's quite great. It's a 30-year lease, so we just get income rolling in every quarter based on that diversification. The other diversification we've got here is agritourism. We have about sort of three to 5,000 people through here a year, and we just tell the story of, uh, you know, farming and, and primary production in Western Queensland. That's a pretty impressive amount of people coming through, James. Why was agritourism the right fit for your operation? Matt, well, it's quite interesting because our farm is very close to close to Longridge, so it's only ten kilometres out. And the amount of people that actually go through Longridge is 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 incredible in terms of tourism. So, how do we nurture the interesting components of of being close to town? And we thought, well, tourism would be great. So, so yeah, so we started off with with one bus, and uh, we sat on the front of a tour bus and and just spoke the story of, of what sort of happens out here and how how it all sort of rolls in terms of production and how we run sheep through a shearing cycle to harvest wool and and how we, uh, you know, create organic beef. So we're organically accredited here and GAP accredited for Whole Foods in the US as well. Yeah, so the opportunity was to sort of give people what they want. We just remember going to town and any tourist would be looking at you and looking to see if you had riding boots on and, and wanting to strike up a yarn because there was no real practical sort of activities they could do around Longridge at that stage when we started off, you know, they could go to the Australian Stockman's Hall of Fame or the Cottage Museum, but it wasn't an authentic experience. So, yeah, so my brother, he runs that as part of the station and, and does quite a good job. I think he's booked in 92 tours this year. And, and uh, on top of that is I think there's about sort of 1,500 school students as well. So, so yeah, so it's a great 
opportunity to transfer knowledge to, you know, and to enrol, I suppose, people that wouldn't otherwise get the experience to come out here and, and be able to empathise with what we work, what we go through in, in agriculture. Not only, you know, not the pain stories so much, we don't encourage encourage that, but we encourage the technology and, and the way to run a business and, and how it's becoming extremely sophisticated with technology and ag tech and, and uh, you know, business different business models out here. So people are, people are quite enthralled about how much goes into running a property now as opposed to out of business as opposed to, uh, you know, their perception of what it really is. And have you been surprised by their reaction? Like they're obviously coming in with a, a different perception of what farming is and then you're able to to tell them this great story? Yeah, mate, absolutely. They, they can't get enough. It's, it's very hard to say goodbye to these people because they just want to keep talking about it because it's such a such an experience for them to come out and to just immerse in it. You know, there's there's spots here that we take them. They can't see anything man-made for 360 degrees. And, and they when you sort of determine that distinction for them and make them aware of that, it's seldom they've actually been anywhere in their life where they can't see anything man-made at all. And so just that, you can just see them melt into the, uh, you know, the environment out here. And, and uh, you know, there's no noise. There's no sort of competing you know, light at night, just a really holistic experience they get. And and we enjoy it too. There's there's a lot of networking that goes on. We had political leaders and celebrities out here and Lee Kernigan did the uh, the current album cover. He shot it on our farm here and, and uh, we've had the Queen here in nineteen seventy, two or three prime ministers. It's just close to Longreach. So we just thought in terms of diversifying we can actually, you know, gain some commercial benefit out of giving people what they really want out here and and, and using it as knowledge transfer as well, Matt. So we'd love to have you guys out here at some stage as well. Maybe Rural Bank can bring their executive out here for a, uh, a team bonding meeting <laughs> if, uh, if that's a possibility. Might have to record an episode out there, do an on-location on recording. That would be great. Absolutely, Annie. And uh, we do sunset uh, cocktails as well. So, yeah, so it sounds, yeah. Sounds, uh, sounds more than just this anyway. <laughs> Changing tack for a minute, that's, you know, talking about a lot of the things you've done on your own farm. But another thing that you're really passionate about is helping other farmers. Why do you enjoy investing time into coming up with these business solutions for farmers? What is it that excites you about it? And there's a number of things there. I, you know, I've been through three rounds of succession. So, my grandfather to my father's brother to, to actually my father. So my wife, Maddie, and I, we run this farm together now and, and own it. And, uh, yeah, so we're making our own decisions now, but we're also looking at, you know, succession for the next generation, how that sort of looks at the moment, even though they're only 12, 10 and 8. comes up very quickly and I think a lot of people get caught out. So I suppose I could see the struggles between family members going through that uh, transformation and and that you know that intergenerational change. And so what it came down to was I suppose the amount of optics we've got on the business and the the metrics we can see how it's performing and what opportunities people can derive out of it. So yeah, so at, at one level, you know, I sort of want to in terms of the farming businesses, I really want to bolster the understanding of of where we are and where we could be and where we'd all like to be. So there's that component there. I got enough field scholarship in 2012, travel around the world looking at different business models and different, you know, different agricultural systems. And and what I sort of came back with was uh, you know, this world is growing by 82 million people every year. And so 
the farms aren't growing by that percentage every year at, at all. So, uh, so what do we need to do to actually keep up, you know, with good quality food and, and the abundance of food so that there's not a huge issue in terms of uh, starvation going forward? So it's, it's coming, you put it in context, 82 million people, that's, that's the combination of New Zealand, Australia, Singapore and Greece. You know, th- those combined populations uh, inhabiting this planet every year. So how do we create the ability for all farmers and primary producers to, to produce to that growth rate? And so I just sort of can see an opportunity to run our businesses better, use our capital and deploy the finance that we've got in our businesses a lot better to improve performance of uh, when we do get the rain to actually improve the performance of our enterprises. So we've developed some software to throw into that issue and trying to build, I suppose, a business suite that brings in production, finance and, you know, environmental impact or not environmental impact but just uh, the natural capital on a, on a property and we're trying to combine that all into into one lens for farmers to view how they're performing now but also how they will be performing so projecting the performance into into uh into the future years and to see you know regenerating or degenerating the the natural capital and what's that doing to our business performance as well so so yeah so realistically uh i just you know, when the drought came around, a lot of people were in a position where they didn't really understand the financial situation their farm was in. So there was a lot of anxiety. And I just think that if we can actually get a program that can quickly show everyone in the family unit how the farm is performing, what the projections are like, and also, uh, you know, what opportunities exist for everyone in that business, I think farming will work quite well and and we can, you know, get to that $100 billion target that we're all talking about. Absolutely. And getting into specifics, aside from the software that you've been part of producing, is there anything else, any other concepts that you started using on your farm that are now benefiting other farmers around Australia? Yeah, absolutely. Our software is being used in in, uh, in northern Australia at the moment. So, uh, so with the government and NRM bodies, they've sort of they've uh, they've taken it on, and they they've got producers that are that are using it. And we've got sort of quarterly workshops to to take people. So, yeah, at the moment we're actually doing a capital raise, and we're in the final stages of it to to actually build a software program for not only the beef industry but for all industries and go across commodities. So. So it's been great. We've found a uh, we've found an investor that can share the vision that we've got. I'm really excited to actually improve the profitability on on farms with this. It's going to automate a lot of processes uh, in terms of the administration processes that that we go through, uh, you know, on a daily basis and weekly basis in farming. That is is very analog, very sort of disconnected. So. So we're going to start to really pull in all the automations that we need to make decisions quite quickly to improve the performance of the farm and, and the profitability. But based on our projections that, that we can see that, you know, we've provided the modelling and, and everything to the investor, they can see we're going to make some pretty significant changes to the profitability on farm and, you know, not only in Australia but for other countries. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's extremely exciting, Matt and Annie, and coupling that with the, you know, the growth in the ag technology spaces uh, you know, the efficiencies and the optimization of farms is going to be quite exciting in the next sort of 10-year period. James, this entrepreneurial mindset, it's sort of, it's fascinating to listen to you speak and it got me thinking about how how does an idea get from 
from your head out to something that's implemented within the industry and actually becomes useful to someone? But it's interesting, uh, you know, and we're going through this Facebook dilemma at the moment about uh, news and, and who owns the news and, and uh, you know, and, and with that goes, I suppose, marketing. Facebook has just been extremely good for marketing uh, ideas and products and, and getting that virality that you would expect a good idea to, to get. Dissemination of ideas is quite organic. You know, there's we always talk about three touch points, you know, can you, can you hear about it? that somebody's doing well out of it, out of uh, an innovation, and then you actually want to see it. It's probably those three touch points that will confirm the idea uh, that, you know, you should implement it. Social media has been brilliant for knowledge transfer, Matt and Annie. It's, it's extraordinary. And, and so, so so too these podcasts. You can sit on a on a tractor or, or be mustering or fencing and you can listen to a podcast. And there's a lot of education that's transpiring at the moment through through you know vehicles like and instruments like what we're what we're doing now, so supporting the producers to be able to uh, to take on these new ideas and you know in terms of adoption of technology, you know in farming everyone says that it's you know it's quite stalled and they don't take on new technologies. Well, I believe that the processing speed of a mobile phone is extraordinary, and the amount of information that comes out of that that technology alone, it's it's there already, and a lot of the farmers that you know couldn't text. 10 years ago are now texting and they're all and they're actually searching solutions on google and uh you know if the solution comes up to be a technology and they can see some referrals and some testimonials associated with it it's, it's a lot easier than having to go to a field day every you know once a year and, and trying to understand what the technologies are in a, in a short amount of time so when it comes to an idea you've really got to prove it up and, and have a good business case behind it one of the recent ones that we've been quite innovative in terms of production out here is is a floating lease uh, based on a 30% retainer. So what we've been throwing about is the idea of partnering with a larger corporate that has large numbers of livestock. And so when you're in such a highly variable rainfall area, it's a huge business risk to have to destock and restock and, and, and be at the whim of a market. So you might sell and you sell down a quarter of the price you're buying back in for it at current prices with the cattle and sheep and even goat prices the way they are. So, you know, what we sort of conjured up was, okay, well, how, how could we set up a, a lease arrangement whereby you've got a long runway, you've got a long-term view, and you've got a, uh, you know, a quarterly retainer that gives you cash flow, but you don't actually have to source the stock. The company that you partner with will actually put them on your property and they've got such a large volume of stock that they can do it, you know, overnight pretty much. Whereas, you know, when you've got to uh, utilise your own capital and, and have so many years of cycling production to actually get good returns, there's an opportunity and I think there's a place there for something like a floating lease that you could, that you could deploy. We've been trialling it here on our farm for uh, about 24 months now and it's going really well. But it's about, you know, building that business model. I suppose you use universities to do it as well to, to put a little bit of rigour in it. But ultimately, it's just got to have a commercial outcome of benefit to the user, I suppose, Matt. That's that's the that's the main thing that, you know, that percentage return or the ROI, that's that's what you mainly look for in technologies. And and, uh, and then second to that would be, I suppose, efficiencies if it if it gives you more time to spend with your family or, or you know, spend on the on the important things 
in your business that gives you the greatest return. Efficiencies like a, another monitor or, you know, these new Bose audio sunglasses that they've got out. You can still work loading trucks or, or fencing and, uh, you know, it just gives you those efficiencies to be able to get jobs done faster and, and that speed to the next deal is, is there. So, so yeah, so I, I suppose it's ROI mainly, Matt, and somebody to do that because a lot of farmers don't have the time to sort of sit down and do that. So you've really got to spell it out for them. James, I love your energy. It's infectious in how excited you are about these new opportunities. What's next in terms of exciting ideas? It's funny. I like the ideas of these hackathons. You know, there's these massive issues and what an organisation or corporation does is throw a prize money and you have a hackathon to solve problems. We're always having hackathons. We're always in the paddock looking at issues and problems and you know whether it's finance whether it's production whether it's whether it's infrastructure whatever it is we're always on a continual hackathon to try and get a get a solution and and the benefit to us isn't prize money it's more commercial return and also the reward in in uh, in solving that issue and, and creating a better better farm or a better system but my major next step annie is to try and get more technology on farms and get the adoption sort of really streamlined but also I suppose building this three-way projection engine that farmers can use so they can see what the natural capital is doing, what their finance is doing and what their production elements to the holistic business is, how they're performing. So really automating that and getting that going and this capital raise will give us the ability to build that. So uh, so I'll probably bunk it down for a while, Annie and Matt, and trying to uh, get that going as fast as possible because I think if there's Droughts in other areas of the world and not just Australia, uh, you know, there's a lot more population density over there. So we really need to get back back in and as soon as we get the rain, as soon as we get out of these droughts in northern Australia, you know, we really need to start performing and optimising as well as we can and, and uh, really converting as much uh, into food and fibre as possible sustainably. So, yeah, so that'll, that'll be my pursuit, Annie, and, uh, yeah, you'll have to check in with me next year to see how far we've got i think uh it's like a rugby scrum at the moment we're, we're you know we've sunk we're paused and we're ready to engage so yeah so we can't wait to get started love it and on the topic of practical solutions james you did mention briefly their bluetooth sunglasses can you tell us a little story there about the uh the bluetooth sunglasses and your involvement with the with the agri hive and pharma tech business that, that I've got, I go to Brisbane a fair bit just to uh, just to check in with the team down there the, with the software company. So so yeah, so I was at the airport one day and I had a look at these uh, sunglasses and they've actually got speakers on them. And I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. I sort of walked away and, and uh, got on the plane. I thought about them again. Then I went and walked past them again and tried them on. And I said, oh, that sounds amazing. They're uh, they're three hundred dollars. I thought, oh, I'm not paying that. I usually just get sunglasses from the servo and just you know, uh, twenty dollars sunglasses just to just to get by because they usually get damaged. And it got the better of me. So I was up in Townsville one day, and, and uh, I said, I'm going to just buy these and, and see how they go. So, so I bought them, and it is amazing the freedom you've got because we're so attached to our phones these days that we're just about to you know jump in the car, but we get a phone call, or we're just about to load the truck, and we're you know we get a phone call. So we're standing around, all the teams looking at us, going, "What do we do next?" And you're trying to signal and. But you're talking to your accountant or your lawyer or your agent. And, uh, and yeah, so when I got these sunnies, I could just be actively still operating, uh, you know, whether it's changing a, 
a truck tire or you know fencing or mustering i could be uh, on these uh, you know on these Bose sunglasses and be talking to agents or doing business deals and you know even just organizing logistics for the farm and still be doing the normal activities of the farm without having to juggle a phone and try and wrench the throttle when the cattle are getting away you can just talk and, and wear the sunnies so so yeah, mate. So I tried trialed them since February last year, and, and mate, I've never had an issue with them. They've got seven hours charging capacity, so you've got you, you can listen to podcasts, or you know, I listen to a lot of audio books in terms of the software we're developing, so that I can sort of upskill while I'm while I'm working. So I thought, well, this is great for agriculture. So some of my mates sort of saw me wearing them, and they said, oh, where do I get a pair? And I said, well, hang on, I might just ring Bose and see if I can get. A deal for everyone so they're not all three hundred dollars so one way or another uh, I, I couldn't get on to them so i went back and tried to get through harvey norman and, and i did a I, I actually did an interview a webinar with jerry harvey to talk about ag tech and how great the technology is using all for the purpose of trying to get through harvey norman to get the bone <laughs> and so i ended up doing the interview and the cfo of harvey norman said james is there anything i can help you i said well actually I can't get on the phone. These sunglasses are ridiculously good for farming and agriculture. And if I can do a deal with them and, and sort of get cheaper retail price, I can sell a lot of these and make life a lot easier for a lot of farmers. And so I said, right, okay. So the CFO of Harvey Norman, you know, that's there's a fair bit of weight behind that introduction. So anyway, so Bose responded quite quickly. And, and uh, yeah, so we've started up a, uh, we've got a website, Farmatech, and I've just been mailed a, uh, sunglasses out on consignment. We've probably sold about fifty already, Matt and Annie. And you know, for for me, you know, we don't make much money out of it. We just cover the expense of the website, really. But but yeah, if we can get them to everyone, that knowledge transfer is just so rapid. They've just worked for me and worked for the uh, the other fifty people. The testimonials or the feedback's been incredible. So yeah, and it might get your podcast out to more producers as well, and they might be able to listen to it for a lot longer, Matt and Annie. So. So yeah, so it's uh, it's quite interesting. We've uh, yeah we've knocked a fair bit off the price of them, and you just order and they're there within three days. So it's funny how it all worked out. That's great. We'll, we'll um, include the link to that in the show notes so people can go in and have a look because yeah, it's a fantastic idea. And speaking of things that you wear when you're out on farm, we do ask all of our guests a question to wrap up the interview, and that is, what boots are you wearing while you're out on farm working? I used to wear um, high top, what are they, twisted X boots. They're pretty robust sort of boots. I forget what they call them, but they're they're Ariads. And uh, yeah, they uh, they just give us a bit more speed to get things done, as opposed to sort of clobbering around in the yards. But yeah, they uh, yeah they, they seem to go quite well. They're quite popular up here for people that are always on the go. So. We haven't. That's an answer we, we haven't had yet. So thanks, James, for coming on today. We've really had a great time chatting to you and we'll definitely have to check in in a year or so's time and see what it is that you're up to and what else is going on. Absolutely. Well, hopefully I'll make enough noise with it, Annie and Matt, that uh, you guys are compelled to come back and talk to me sooner. So we'll see how we go. Sounds great. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Cheers, Matt. Thanks so much. Thanks, Annie. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. 
You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert. And I'm Matt Hour, and we'll chat to you next time.